If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dr. Tara, and this is Hopeful Hints, a podcast where you'll receive quick, hopeful hints on all things women's health and infertility. Here, you will find education, inspiration, and most importantly, find peace and empowerment as you walk through the next steps in your healthcare journey. Welcome to Hopeful Hints. I'm your host, Dr. Tara, and I'm beyond excited for today's guest, Gina Norton. I feel this is a topic that needs to be talked about more often, and I think you will enjoy it, whether you have personal experience with this or you know somebody who has breast implants, but today's topic is breast implant illness. Thank you, Gina, so much, first of all, for being so open about your story. So let's just dive in. Tell us a little bit about you, and then we're going to talk about what your first signs were and how far back this disease goes for you. Okay. I'm so excited that you had me on here too, because I wanted to share my story and I didn't know exactly how to go about that, but I do talk about it every day and all the people that I meet, because I do feel like I did not go through 23 years of suffering for no reason at all. So I feel like I have a good story to share because obviously I got breast implants when I was 38. Not obviously that I got breast implants when I was 38, (laughs) but I got breast implants when I was 38 after I had four children. So I'm a mother of four and I feel like I got sick right away. So I honestly feel like my kids got cheated out of really knowing who I really was because I used to be super fun, energetic, super achiever in my career. I've I've not, I was very successful. I have had so many things happen to me, setbacks, I would say. And I just kind of continued to push through and continue to work and kind of fake my way through life. That's so sad. And I think many are going to look back after they listen to this and see them too in your story. And maybe it's even been like, five years or something. But I think today's goal is to not have someone at 23 years, unfortunately, like you were to validate and reassure some symptoms we're going to talk about that breast implant illness is. So let's begin. Okay. Tell us about like your journey. What were some of those first signs and that kind of led you down this road? Okay. So first of all, I got breast implants in 2000. And at that time, my risks presented to me when I signed the paperwork right before surgery was capsular contracture, bleeding, possibility of bleeding, nipple sensitivity, and then asymmetry. And so that was it. Basically, those were the known like risks for getting breast implants. So I felt like it was very doable, that there wasn't a lot of risks involved. And so I chose to get them. And plus I got a discount because I worked at the plastic surgeon's office and later we became partners in business. So I also felt like in my business, I'm an esthetician, I'm in the beauty industry. And so I also feel like there's a sort of a 
expectation of us to look good and look the part, play the part. And so, you know, it was a lot of my friends were getting breast implants and yeah, I had just had four kids. And obviously I was feeling a little bit like my boobs were deflated, not as perky as they used to be. And so a lot of the, like I said, the friends were getting the implants. So I thought, why not? I'm going to do it. So I, I got the implants. The surgery was super painful. I, I should have known then because I said to my husband, I'm going to tell everybody this hurts so bad. And then, of course, after I healed, I was like happy with them. And I was like, no, this was nothing at all. And then it didn't even take probably two or three months. And I had my first migraine at work. And then it was unusual for me to get a headache and I never, ever really got headaches, but it came on pretty severe that I actually was crying that day. And so the doctor that I was working for, he sent me right down to the emergency room and they did CT scans. So I started kind of like, that was almost starting to be, then it was like almost weekly where I would have this headache. And then I also started to notice that I was gaining weight. And it was mostly like in my upper body bloating. My arms were like, like gaining a lot of weight. I could tell because my clothes were fitting differently. And now I know that that's like one of the common symptoms, but I would have never related that to that. No, that time. none of no. this would have thought of that. No. And then I would basically, it was like six months later. And then I kind of said, I feel like there's just so much pressure in my roof of my mouth. So I actually had a surgery with ear, nose, and throat doctor to remove the bone on that top of the roof of my mouth. That was the first thing. Did you did. say how far in after surgery, that, surgery was that this? was like six months after. Wow. I know. Okay. And I actually thought that that one, like that was Fix causing it. it. Yeah. 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 So I, that was my first surgery that I had. And then, um, that didn't help. And then I remember the headaches were starting to get like more common, more every day, more frequent. And so it was starting to interrupt like my daily life, like noise, light, but it was like not a typical migraine because it was all day long and it, it didn't change. Like it never got better. So I dealt with that for a while. And then I started to get insomnia. And so I wasn't sleeping. And then I would come in because we were opening this new spa. I would come in and unpack shipments at two, three, four a.m. because I wasn't sleeping and just like. And my partner was like, "Oh, I'm so glad I'm partner with an insomniac because you're getting all this work done." <laughs> and then it was like two years of dealing with these headaches. And then I did start to take something called Ultram at the time. It was like just was supposed to be like a non-narcotic to help. And so I started that way. And then, and then my migraines got so intense. It was like, I want to say two years after the, the initial implant. And at that point I went to a practitioner and she put me on morphine. I did biofeedback cranial sacral therapy, massage, chiropractic. I was at her practice three to four days a week for about two years. And then my daughter was working at St. A's in the, as a communications clerk. And she worked with the neurologist that worked there. And she said, 
please help my mom. She has these horrible headaches and we just don't know what to do with her. She's been on all these medications. She's over-medicated. And so he said, let me do some checking. So he got me in Halloween of 2004, I believe it was, or 2005. I can't remember, but I went to the Michigan Head Pain and Neurological Clinic for 30 days. Oh my gosh, Gina. Let's, for people who aren't, don't live around here. How far is that from where you it, live? It was a flight. I mean, it's like, it's like 10, 14 hours. Away from home. Yeah, so you lived away, away from mm-hmm. home for 30, 30 days. days. And I had four kids. How old were they at the time? So that would have been in 2005. So my, my two oldest were graduated in college. And then my two younger ones were just in junior high. Wow. So I, it was hard for me to be gone that whole month. I I had to be gone, but what was kind of like being on survivor, that show was popular at the time, but you could be, you would daily, we would have like group therapy with chronic pain. It was a specific diet in the, in your cafeteria. So for migraines diet, so everything had to be eliminated, eliminated. We had to eat like no sugar, no caffeine, all those things and no medication. They detoxed you when you first came in. So for the first three days, it was like, I couldn't even hold my head up because all the detoxing and it was like, I slurred my speech. It was really, really crazy. And then, then I had CTs, MRIs, Every day you did some sort of test and it, if they ever felt like you were just there because you wanted medication to stay or whatever, then they kicked you out. So I was able to stay there the full 30 days. You have a roommate. It was really, I hated it. It was sounds like a mental health, like it was. you throw me into some mental health so then when I left there they put me on three different types of medication that were not an opioid so I had a nose spray like a nasal spray I had a shot to put into my thigh and that was Toradol and then I had a clonazepam which they gave me clonazepam free limit unlimited no that is super addictive too I know I didn't know anything about benzos at the time and I to this day cannot I mean you cannot get off no. the one milligram yeah. because the it feels like heart races. Yes, horrible stomach. It's yes. like ringing in your ears. This is the one worse. medication in my clinical experience. I cannot, and I have the hardest time if I even try pulling people off of. Wow, I know. I oh. that's the one thing I'm still. Like, so that was how long in past surgery? This was an in five, okay. and then I came back from that. And then they put me on Cymbalta, which was an antidepressant, I think. And then I got really depressed and suicidal thoughts. So I thought, geez, I wonder if I'm going through menopause. Now I was like 43, 44, something like that. So I went into the OBGYN and she said, are you depressed? And I said, yes, I am. And then she said, do you have suicidal thoughts? And I said, yes, I do. And boom, I was in the psych ward. I mean, I didn't even get a chance to like say, no, I mean, I don't want to go there. And I was in the psych ward and it was like the 4th of July. And then I kept saying, I don't belong here. I don't want, I mean, they put me in the scrubs and I mean, it was like, 
Oh, what the hell? Goodness. So I requested for the psychiatrist to come see me. He saw me. We talked for an hour and he said, you don't need to be here. And he discharged me right away. And I was like, oh my God, that was, I will never say that again. (laughs) My goodness. Yeah. So, so then I got out of that, the, that little experience. And then I didn't take that medication anymore. And then of course it was recommended that I start to see a psychiatrist. So I started to see a psychiatrist and she told me that I was bipolar. Okay. So I, I mean, I call my sister and I'm like, do you think I'm bipolar? And she's like, no, like, I don't see that. Like, anything and I but at this point I'm really wanting to do whatever yes to do to get desperate and desperate you're trusting all of these providers over this time is what I see yeah putting your trust in them so she put me on a prescription called Abilify and I started to feel like I wasn't hungry like more anxious or whatever but I continued to take it and then my husband got transferred to Atlanta so I continued to take the Abilify. We moved to Atlanta. I was excited to go there because I always loved heat. And as soon as we got there, it was like I established a doctor because I needed to get my meds. And when I met this doctor practitioner, she was like, you need to see a psychiatrist for those meds. I can't prescribe those to you, which was different than in North Dakota. So then I went to a psychiatrist there as well but she I would say my stomach feels like butterflies and I don't feel hungry and I always feel like nauseous and I'm throwing up a lot so it went from headaches headaches gone to now stomach and it was really really hard for me to tell anybody because I felt like oh my god people are going to be like what's next that you can dream up of. You're kind of a hypochondriac, but honestly, I was like sick. I was vomiting. I was like, it wasn't a lot at the time. It was just like, I felt like gaggy. Like I, and then it was almost like, then uh, it was difficult to eat, had a hard time eating. And then I got this job in Atlanta and as it was really a kind of a stressful job, just like new people, a lot of foreign people that, you know, like I learned a lot from, mm-hmm. but like, it was just not my normal. And so I feel like at first I attributed to a lot of my anxiety to stress and new situation, but I did start right away. I had some GI appointments, I actually had 52 GI appointments that oh. year. In one year, Emory. Yes. Wow. Everyone was normal. And each and every time I had an endoscopy, I said, right here, right below my breastbone is feels like a boil or some sort of infection. Can you look there? And they were always say, nothing. It's normal. So I, they just kept saying anxiety. So that year, that psychiatrist put me on Trazodone, Abilify, Zoloft, Ambien, Valium, Clonazepam, and all at the same time. I was so, and then I would say in the middle of the day, I get anxious and she would say, take it breakthrough. So I literally had that Clonazepam and Valium in my drawer at work. And I would just like 
take one if I felt like I needed to, to not throw up. But I was getting, I would have a commute drive home and I would have to pull over to gas stations to throw up. And this went on for like eight months. And then I had, I went to see a gastroenterologist there that I ended up in the ER and then they recommended me to this gastro gastroenterologist. He had me do a colonoscopy. I did the colonoscopy. And when he got finished with the colonoscopy, he wasn't able to complete it to get to the end of my colon. Apparently he said there was like a hook. So he wanted to do a barium enema. So a week later I had to go through the whole cleanse and then do the barium enema while I was awake. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but they your this tube up your rectum. And for an hour, they twisted me on this table where I had to roll over this way, roll over that way. And while they pushed the fluid in, I mean, I was like horrible, awful experience with nothing that as a result at the end, it was like, they couldn't get to the end of the colon is. So I basically went back for my recheck, which I had to drive like really far away. And I was always nervous to drive in Atlanta. And I got to that doctor's office and he said to me, have you heard about the boy who cried wolf? What? The doctor says this to you? Yeah. Okay. And I was in tears, like thinking I would have never had that stuck up my butt. Yeah. Done all these tests for if I didn't feel sick. Wow. Medical gaslighting. Everybody, totally. medical gas. Yeah, here we are. That's a that's a big. Me- You've been gaslit throughout this whole story, but this one is like yeah. major gaslighting. So then I didn't want to go to anybody again, and then I went home to my husband, and I and I literally did not ever. We lived there a year and eight months, and I never ever cooked once, and I never got out of bed after work. Wow. Can you talk about the impact that so far this has had on your relationships, family, friends, work? Well, I lost most of my friends because I wasn't able, I was never able to commit to doing anything. And I, I feel like people just thought I was always sickly. And I mean, I really, really saved my life to just work and be a mom. It was like, that was the, all the energy that I really had. And so I, it was hard. My husband's super supportive, which is really I just want to commend him. I see so much in my practice with um, similar diseases and the impact they have on marriages. So to hear that you made it through 23 years of illness together, I mean, talk about for sickness or for health. I just want to like commend both of you on that. And, and that's something I think we need to talk about more in medicine is the impact that chronic disease has on work family relationships too. So uh, it's amazing to hear that. Yeah. He never, I was so thankful that he never, ever said you're nauseous again. You don't feel good. We have to leave, you know, like he never, ever said anything. Right. The hardest. He believed you. It sounds totally believed. He's believed you from day one. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And he would, if I said I need to go in, he would like, he never cared that we would spend four hours in an ER, you know, and it would be like late or through dinner or whatever. And I always felt really bad for him. But I didn't, when I, I ended up having to move back from Atlanta because he said he was really supportive, but he was like, 
maybe it is Atlanta. Maybe you're just anxious and maybe you should just move back and see if you get better. So I did. I moved back and moved in with my daughter and, and my, between my daughter and my parents for a while. And then I'm my daughter actually took me in. And so first my son took me in. He was like, mom, I can't stand to see. He was home from college. And he said, mom, I can't stand to see you like this. I'm going to take you to the ER. So we got to the ER and this doctor at the ER was like, Gina, you don't come to the ER for chronic illness. I don't know what else to do. And so my son just brought me in and then she sent me home. She didn't wow. treat me, do one exam or anything. So Uh-oh. I got home <laughs> and my daughter said, I am going to, so she called the administrator and said, my mom was just there. They, it says your pain will be believed and blah, 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 blah. And Oops, so they said, like please daughter. come back. <laughs> so I went back and then it was kind of secretive when we got back there and I got a different doctor. And then when we got in the room. He said, I heard you called the medical hospital police on us oh these fighters and my daughter goes well i work at the other hospital and she's like and people get admitted for like a broken or a sore arm and they don't even remember when they get up to the floor what arm it was or whatever and my mom has lost 30 pounds and lost so many months and please just admit her and diagnose her yeah and he said we will we're gonna do one test and we'll we will admit her and so I went into radiology, had the test, and they came back and they were like, she has superior mesenteric artery syndrome, which was my duodenum and my main artery for digesting the food, the superior mesenteric artery were pinched off. And it was a fatal disease. Wow. And only like so many people survive it if it's not caught. And so immediately I was admitted. The surgeons came up to the floor and then they were like, we don't know how to do this surgery. It's a specific rerouting, specific surgery or whatever. And then the, then that was, I had that talk. And then another, like, she was an intern doctor or whatever resident. She came up and she goes, I'm 99% sure that's not what it is. So it was constant, go back, back and forth, forth, back and forth. And then then the other doc, my primary came up and she said, you need to get a plane ticket to de- to tomorrow, right away to mail. I'm going to send your chart and your records to them. You go to the ER because it was December 16th. So she's like, it'll be really busy in the hot, in the clinic. So I want you to go to the ER. So it was... December 17th, we got a plane ticket, super expensive, flew to Minneapolis, brother-in-law met us with his truck, and we drove him home, we took his truck to Mayo, got there around, it was like nine at night or something, and five hours in the ER, I'm crying, like really crying in pain, and we're in, I'm in a wheelchair in the waiting room for five hours, then I never did get to see a doctor, Uh, someone came into my room, they did a CBC, and they said, we don't see anything here and we did not get your records and we're going to have to let you go. If you want to camp out in the GI department at the clinic at, you know, Mayo, you can, and hopefully someone will cancel and get you in. Well, I literally was like, oh my God, I've gone from Atlanta all the way up here and nobody believes me. This is just like so frustrating and 
My daughter previously worked in Edina with a vascular surgeon. And so, and this was vascular. So she called him that morning at 8 a.m. when he opened and he agreed to see me that day at two. So we drove from Mayo to Edina and he looked at my charts. He got, my daughter got all the records to him and I could never get a hold of my my primary here. She never answered a phone or, or anything ever. So then my daughter took care of everything and he saw it right away. And I had emergency surgery and he rerouted my stomach and so you did in fact have it. I did have it. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. And he knew it. He had a patient that had it like a week before, even though it's really rare, but he was familiar with it. He knew exactly what to do. So, and that doctor became like my best friend. An yes. advocate probably. And he too. totally gave my cell number. So if I was in the ER in Bismarck or wherever that he could explain, walk through whatever right. needed to be done. So yeah, then I came home and I made it home um, by just a date by Christmas Eve. My whole family was here for Christmas Eve. We celebrated Christmas Eve. And then the next day I started vomiting really bad again and I had a bowel obstruction. So I had to be ambulance back to Minneapolis. I had a, a laparoscopic surgery to fix the bowel obstruction. And then I came back home and then I guess then I, my motility was really slow. So I, I had so much nausea and still, and they put me, I saw a specialist that this doctor set me up with in Minneapolis and he put me on erythromycin. And so I took that two times a day to stimulate the stomach because there were no known drugs that would increase the motility. And so I did go then to Mayo Clinic and have a, a motility scan because they're the best in the nation for gastric. In the one in Arizona is known for cancer and the one in Minneapolis is known for gastric. Interesting. So I went there and had this test done for gastroparesis. And this whole time I'm thinking I just had bad digestion. I have poor genetics. And they said my stomach was paralyzed and was only working 17%. And that was in 2013. So is there in fact, I mean, a correlation with your breast implant illness to all of this? So yeah, when, yeah. Uh, when I finally, like in January of this year, looked up a private Facebook group, I realized all of these women have gastrointestinal issues. In fact, I know women that have pacemakers put in to get their stomachs working that also have breast implants. So it's a common thing. Wow. But that was never, never even questioned. Nope. Wow. Me. Yeah. So you have these ongoing stomach issues until just, and well, then I had, so then I was good for a year. And then in 2015, I had no appetite again. And I call my surgeon and he's like, you need to get here right away. The symptoms seem same. Took three days to diagnose. Then I had this median articulate ligament syndrome, which was another compression disorder. And then they said, came into my room and said, this is unexplainable that someone would get two compression disorders. So they did not know what it was. My dad had five siblings out of 11 that had Parkinson's and people's stomachs paralyzed if they have Parkinson's or diabetes, but That's I didn't it. have either. Those are the two things yes. to this. Yes. Wow. So they were 
just confused. Yep. And, and then basically let that go. Like they didn't really need to find out why I was getting these or whatever. So then, then I had a hernia repair. Then they put a mesh in that same doctor. And so right after that, and then, then I was good for a while. And then in 2017, my breast implant ruptured uh-huh. my left saline breast implant ruptured. And I was like, I didn't notice anything, but I, I knew I had been tired for the last few weeks and I kind of was even more nauseous. So anyway, I called the plastic surgeon different one this time. Cause I had a weird relationship with the other, with our business. And so I, I wanted a woman anyway. And so I went to a different one. And then she said, I said, I don't want implants. I just want them out. I want a lift. And I was 53 at the time and I was just opening our business. And she said, Jeannie, you won't be happy with a lift because you know, you're 53 or used to having fullness. I think you'd really do well. I said, I didn't like the way the silicone felt because it, I mean, the saline felt because it just didn't have any movement when I got a chiropractic adjustment, massage, hug somebody laid on my stomach. It just always was uncomfortable. So she said, the silicone is much more pliable. It's more squishy and you'll like the gummy bear texture. But then she noted, this is in 2017. She noted all my history of anxiety, depression, gastrointestinal issues, all obstruction, and all of those are breast implant illness. And I feel like in 2017, that was known about breast implant illness, where in 2000, maybe not so much, but in 2017, definitely was known, but I had no clue. She basically said it has, there is a possibility of getting a certain type of cancer associated with breast implants. It's a certain kind of cancer that you need to be aware of. But since I didn't have a history of cancer in my family, it was, she felt comfortable and that's what was in the notes. So I got the silicone and it didn't even take two months and I had no appetite and my went in, my doctor said, you need to have another scan. And can you believe my SMA came back? And that was like, absolutely unheard of that, that superior, I had another artery compression and it, and then he was like, this is just so weird. So I had to have another rerouting of my stomach. And at that time, I actually, they tied off part part of my stomach. So part of it wouldn't work and part of it would. And so the food was supposed to go into the functioning part and not the other. And it was going into the other. So then I called him and I said, I can't work without eating. Everything hurts. Nothing is working. And he said, we're going to need to put you on feeding tubes. Oh, wow. So I was like, I'm okay. I, to me that I was yep. sick of not being able to eat, being nauseous. It sounded like I can have a backpack with the feeding tube feeding me all day. I don't need to take a break. I can work. <laughs> this is, I'm this like, might, I'm super power in your yes. history of what you've all been through at this point. You're like, let's do this. Right. <laughs> so I go down, I get a feeding tube in Minneapolis. I come back and it's again, it's close to Christmas and my feeding tube starts backing up. And I have brown stuff in my feeding tube and I'm like, this doesn't look right. And so he's like, you need to go in 
and have a scan. And now I'm in like, I am so sick and so much pain and I'm rolling back and forth on the um, table in the doctor's exam table in the doctor's office. And he is making phone calls and he, and my doctor is telling him what test to order. I go downstairs, I'm crying, screaming in the radiology area. This old lady comes up to me, holds me, I'm praying for you. I mean, it was, this is, was normal for me. Like every time I go in somewhere, ER visits or whatever, it was traumatic. I mean, it was like, I was in severe pain, yeah. but they acted like it was nothing. Faking it. Yes. Yep. And so did the x-ray and he's like, oh, yeah, it's what happened is that feeding tube moved from my intestine back into the stomach where, so it was in the paralyzed part. So my surgeon said, you need to put a fishing weight on it. But here's the thing is my body was rejecting feeding tubes because like silicone, <sighs> my body didn't like the foreign object. So here they're putting a weight on it in me to keep it in. So I had a surgery here in Bismarck and I woke up from surgery just from a small feeding tube, which I just had two months before, which is nothing. And I wake up and I'm like screaming, like, this is not right. This is not normal. And he said, it's a fucking feeding tube. That's what he said. A doctor says this to you. Yeah. Mm, gaslighting. And, and I'm like, we cannot it's be, not right. We I cannot promise. be okay with this behavior in medicine. Yeah. And oh he goes, goodness. don't give her anything. <gasps> He's like, Withheld pain medicine from nothing you. said, said, get, and they put me in a wheelchair. It was the end of the day. And I got wheeled out to my car. My husband got me home in bed and I looked at him and I said, you know, that movie mash. And he's like, yeah. And I go, I feel like that a soldier that was like shot and struck down. And I'm laying here waiting for a helicopter to come and get me. Oh. And I was like, just like stiff. I didn't want to move. It hurts so bad. And I go, I have to go to the bathroom. And I got up and I fainted and blood, like, Sheena, like, I just want to think her story is not going to get worse. It gets worse. It's way worse. This is worse. And blood comes out and I'm, my husband's like, Gina, you fainted and your pants are down. Cause I always said, the worst thing that would ever happen to me, I'm going to face in the shower or my pants are going to be done. And it's like, happened. It happened. And so I'm like, call an ambulance. Yeah. So he called the ambulance. They got me, came up to the bedroom. They hauled me to the, I get in there. They bring me in. And I mean, they're shoving stuff in my feeding tube, like medicine. And it's like, up here by my no. chest and I never had medicine in my feet into ever. And now it's stuck. And then they're like four or five people over me. And they're like pushing Coca-Cola into it to break it up. And the girl said something to me, you're nice. So we're going to give you some numbing. Oh, you're nice. Yeah. Oh, you're nice. Girl. You're Gina. nice. Good yeah. girl. No, not everyone gets numbing. Oh Lord. And then I, I mean, it was so, so traumatic. I wish we actually, we should have maybe recorded video. Cause I feel like our faces, like yeah. our face this whole time over here is like, oh, what is right. going on? I know. And then I go in the bathroom and I'm like, oh my God, like I had to go to the bathroom in a hat and it was solid red. I never, I mean, I was like really scared. Then they're like, it was actually a doctor that knew my daughter and I think they went to high school together and he, he knew my story and he was like, so bad for you. And he was like, I'm going to admit you. So I get upstairs and the nurse was like, 
That's right. Red jello. Red jello, I'm sure. And I'm I, sure I don't have red jello in my house, but okay. <laughs> I was like, I haven't eaten anything Dang. in like days and not red jello. So, I, and then she looked at the computer and she goes, Oh my God. She goes, You're positive for C. diff. So everybody oh. got the whole garbage. Oh. And they were like, said, We're going to keep you here till we lose, lose control. Then we can ambulance you. Other than that, it wouldn't pay for the ambulance. So then I got ambulance. No, my ambulance ride was a treat. My guy vaped the whole way. In the ambulance? Yeah. Oh. And couldn't get my catheter to work. I had no pain medicine in the ride. He couldn't give me that. My catheter, my bladder was so full. It took a full six hours to get there, by the way, by ambulance. I had 2,500 cc's of urine in me when i got there oh again I, this seems illegal but let's my just... doctor said she came from an abused medical literally community literally you yeah have... wow so they all they did was change out my tube and Easy. give me some medication and i was home oh. in a couple of days so i came home and i said i am not moving out of this bed don't at all so i laid still i Kids came over, gave me pedicure, visited with me. We kept in touch with business. My daughter now is in nurse practitioner school because basically. Because of you yeah. and your story. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so I get up to go to the bathroom. It's been three weeks and here my tooth is backing up again. And I'm like, oh my God. So I go, we got to go. And again, and so we went to a different hospital and I said to the radiologist, do you have a good interventional radiologist? Because I'm not really sick right now. And we could make it to Fargo yep. or Minneapolis. And he's like, no, she's really good. She's really good. I trust her 100%. I'm like, okay. So I, she came in, met me. She put in a feeding tube and that feeding tube was too small. And would you believe this? My stomach acids leaked out on over... And I got third degree burns. Oh, and I had hydrochloric acid all over. I your skin, yeah, outside, yep. All I knew the next thing is I was getting drains in me. I couldn't talk. I had gained twenty five pounds overnight. I had abscesses in my lungs, liver, kidneys, everywhere. I was. What? Okay, it's getting worse again. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, like I. Uh, so then they said we lose control. My they would not ambulance me now this time. My husband had to drive me and with an IV everything in the back. <laughs> Sounds of better view. than the vapor. <laughs> silver yes. lining. Right. Trying to find a silver line. There's no vaping. <laughs> no vaping. In an ambulance. So we get to Minneapolis and they now I have actually sepsis. I'm in for oh, 45 man. days. I have Gina. candida everywhere. Now I'm on, I have a pick line, a midline, a TPN. So for 45 days, my husband slept on the floor in the, oh, because I couldn't walk. I couldn't even get to the bathroom. And for someone to get in isolation gear and help me that fast, like it was, it was impossible. So they were so grateful that he was there and they were so good to me. Oh, so yeah, I was there for 45 days. Then I came home and I stayed home for a couple of weeks and I went back to work. And that day I went back to work. I said to my husband, I'm like, my stomach is a weird burn. I feel like I should just come home. 
And on the way home, I'm vomiting my own poop. No. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm dying. Yeah, this is, this it. is it. And I'm this like, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but this, this thing is just kept happening. Yes. Yes. And so I get into the hospital ER and they're like, they whisk me right in the back and the doctor comes in and I said, he introduced himself and I said, your wife just about killed me yes. a month ago and yeah. he never came back. And then another doctor came in and I got a fabulous surgeon. He did my ball obstruction. I was out of the hospital. I felt great after that, but then I didn't want to see. And yeah. I was, I was like, I'm Done. just going to do natural. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I was like, I actually pulled out my own feeding tubes for FaceTime with my surgeon. I just pulled them all out, took everything out, let my body heal. And for a, about seven or eight months, I just ate like clean, organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, try to do the best. I went to Mayo. I had another study. It said 1% was functioning, but they had no suggestions for me whatsoever and no answers. So I just decided to do nothing. And then I, my dad passed away, COVID hit and my dad got septic and he had a knee replacement. He, he got septic. He passed away February 1st. And then February 10th, I took my grandkids to sky zone. I did one jump, broke my back in four places, Gina. which is right behind my breast implants, by the way. Oh. So I called my surgeon and I said, this is right behind my stomach. Do you think it has anything to do? Yeah. And he said, I need you to go in and have another test. So he said, but I'm unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to operate on you now because it's COVID and you can only be operated on if you're bleeding out or wow. dying. So he's like, so we're going to do this test. I want another motility study in Bismarck, but you're going to have to wait until April or May or whenever, when we can open up. So I had the test and it was blocked. And he said, you need to have your stomach take, taken out a full gastrectomy. So basically I was getting treated in my home by this Reiki guy. And he was, he said, Gina, you're, you haven't eaten in three weeks. You need to call your surgeon. I'm afraid for you. So I said, okay. So my husband called my surgeon and he said, get her here. We'll make arrangements. So they drove me down. Now it was April. They, uh, my husband was not allowed to go in. They, I didn't know the doctor. He lined it up. This vascular surgeon lined it up. A doctor came in, explained things to me. They did a COVID rule out. The next day they took out my whole stomach. The next day I was released. Oh, wow. Like just like that. Yep. Never learned. Like I didn't know what I could eat, what I couldn't eat. I didn't know. I never knew that I was not going to be able to drink water after that. We got back to Bismarck and I mean, I didn't know what to do. I got to 90 pounds. It was the scariest by July, I was a bone, like wow. a skeleton. My sister sent me a book, the cancer cooking nutrient rich calorie dense food. Yeah. And I started teaching myself, but no one could cook for me. My mom was grieving with my dad's death and she just couldn't help me. Yeah. My, my husband didn't know how to cook anything. <laughs> and so I, I had, a, I lived on bone broth. Wow. And I made it and I would like 
just try to do like little things. I like ate things for hydration, like ate cucumbers, apples, try to, I licked spoons. I mean, I, it was so hard. I can't even tell you, but I made it through really good the first year. And then the second year it was like, this is, I'm, I was in a support group for stomachless people. They were getting better and they were eating canned pureed ravioli and I'm eating organic grass-fed food and pure ingredients and I'm deteriorating like an old woman. I last, last year, my son got married on Labor Day. The next day I was not even able to walk. I went to, I thought I fractured my foot, my foot, my leg. And then I thought, okay, here comes the Parkinson's right now it's coming. And so I didn't go in, but I did chiropractic, acupuncture, whatever. Then I did go to the nurse practitioner and I went and saw functional medicine. They were like, you're really full of yeast. And they tried to detox me, but I would get into like really bad, bad detox where I would be in bed for 10 days. Then it started to be where I was dry heaving every single day. My late, my, my body was like in full pain, like labor. And I had to breathe with it by four o'clock in the afternoon. My back hurt so bad. My stomach hurt so bad. I could hardly eat. My husband had to help me shower. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't take off my own pants. I mean, I could barely walk up the steps. I couldn't breathe. I was wheezing. And I I just like, I was like, what is this? I was crazy. I will tell you so many times I would drive, get in my car and just think, I just want to drive in the river. I yep. just want to yeah. drive away. I yep. just, I don't even know what to do. I got, then I met this girl and she's like, I do. She was through my work. She came to do a training. She's like, I'm leaving this company and I'm going to do assisted deaths. And I'm like, tell me about that. And she's That's like, right. I'm moving yep. to uh, Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, and think, yeah. she's like, and I'm going to help people die. It's a beautiful thing. And I was like, I want to do that. So I came home and I told my husband and I said, this is what I want to do. And I go, but I hate to do this because I don't want to hurt my kids. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a really hard thing to decide, but I can't do this anymore. I'm like, this is so hard. And every time I go to the clinic, every doctor is like, nothing makes sense. Like nothing connected, you know? And I, I had no there was there wasn't connections you know and I was diagnosing myself every minute I never heard a song of music I never heard words to songs when I drove when I was I'm always like why is this mouth thing connected to the stomach thing to the head thing every minute minute of my day even when there was silence when I was working on a patient when I'm with my kids and they're all laughing and they're, I'm thinking, why is my mouth just burning? I had sores all the time in my mouth. And it was like a constant obsession. And I was like, supposed to go to a thing with my granddaughter and I had a counsel and I never counseled the family, you know, and I was always just suck it up, take the Zofran, yeah. do it. Yeah. And this time I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do it. And I was like, this is it. I can't do anything anymore. I'm a burden to everyone. Yeah. Oh. And so I said to my husband, I'm, I can't, I, I want to die. And he said, he understood. He was like, so I went into my room and I just said, 
God, what is wrong with me? And so loud. It was the first time I ever, ever even thought this. It was like, it's your breast implants. And I was like, boom, there it was. Oh my God, really? And so I thought, I'm going to call my sister. And I called my sister and I said, do you think this could be my breast implants? But she didn't know how sick I was because I hid it from her. But she knew I was sick, but she didn't know that sick. She's like, I thought you were getting better. And I'm like, no, I haven't told you. And then she's like, you need to call my friend, patient. She's like, she does a lot of research in, she's in wellness. And she went through this. She shared her story on Facebook. So, and I'm like, would you tell her to call me? Sure. So she called me and she said, Jeannie, you need to join this Facebook group. It's private. They hide it from everybody because the FDA doesn't want you to what anybody to know about this illness. I joined this Facebook group. 180,000 women are in there. They tell you what surgeons to go to. And she's like, you cannot just have your implants removed. You need to have the full capsule that your body grows removed or you won't get better. Uh And she's like, but you'll get better. You'll have another chance at this life. Don't do anything to yourself. Just trust. Go do this. So I get on the phone and I call it's January and I call and it's like January of 20. This year, 23, 23. Call the first person on the list and they have to, in order to be on this list, they have to do so many. Yes. Let's talk about this. So this is not just any plastic surgeon for many that are listening. They hear me rave about uh, endometriosis. You cannot just go to any surgeon or OBGYN. These are specially trained OBGYNs. These are specially trained plastic surgeons, correct? Right. And what I've understood is if they do not get every minuscule of that capsule, yes. So like every smidge of it, you won't get all the way better, Better. but you, most people get 40% better. They can get 40% better if, if they get most of the capsule removed, but you won't get any better if you don't have the capsule removed Again, and just there it is you have to know how to spot it see it remove it right and i was so glad i had that phone call because <laughs> i was thinking i would have just made an appointment so it was like january and nobody had an opening to october and november there's such a wait list for this too. yes it's like there are so many women that are sick so then i was like i won't live that long yep. i won't live that long going down 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 and so the fourth person i called it seemed like the perfect thing because the consultation was on my, the anniversary of my dad's death. And I was like, this is meant Science. to be February 1st. This yes. is only three weeks from now. My husband actually was scheduled to work in Phoenix at that time. Perfect. And I was like, we're going for the consult. My sister agreed to be on the other end so that she could FaceTime, ask the good questions. So we went down there for the consult. And then I said, do you think I will get better? Because I had my stomach taken out and everything. And he said, I don't know, Gina, but everybody gets better. Yeah. And he goes, I've had patients come in in wheelchairs oh. and come to their post-op a week later. Walk. Look at that. Wow. So I had a lot of hope. Yeah. And I know... Then I was like, I want to do this. And so I scheduled it for February 23rd. I went there and had the surgery. And I mean, that day before I couldn't walk up the steps alone. My husband had to help me walk up the steps to our, we rented a, like a VRBO in our house oh. had steps. I couldn't even get up the steps without wheezing and walking up. 
the next morning after I had my surgery, I was like, oh my God, it was like someone, for one thing, my foot had been numb. My toes on my right foot had been numb for about 15 years. 15 years. Not numb at all. Gone. After surgery, my sister was like holding my feet. I'm like, my feet aren't numb. She goes, what? Your toes are numb? I go, they have been. And then we went to eat and I was like, Oh my God. It's like someone took goggles off. It's like, I could see so clear. And it sounds like I'm making all this up. No, it does not. And not to anyone listening, anyone listening. And if you don't believe her, you should just turn this off a long time ago and go educate yourself. Yeah. It was like, this is then my sores were gone in my mountains the next day. And I'm like, this is so crazy. And then, so my sister and I, we had a thing, like she said, list all your symptoms the night before surgery. And then we kind of tracked. Well, we're gonna take a picture together. With so my <laughs> primary symptoms the night before surgery were chest pain, breast pain, rib pain, back pain, joint, foot, knee pain, dry mouth, burning mouth, nausea, insomnia, brain fog, tired, no interest in doing extra, anything extra, depression, anxiety, moody, poor memory, short term only, itchy breasts, pain, and pressure in my bra line. Difficulty breathing, hair loss, ringing in my ears, hot flashes, and dry heaves. Wow. Within wow. a month, most of my symptoms, if not all of them, were at least like 50%. So wow. I knew right away that that was a ticket. And remember when I said every endoscopy, yeah. I was like, look here. After I had my stomach removed, after I had my stomach tied off, after I had every surgery, I always expected that to go away. And it was always there afterwards. And as soon as that breast came out, it implants were out, none. You there. knew it. And I was like, that was it. Yes. That was a ticket. Yep. Finally. Wow. Wow, you guys. It, I mean, so one thing I need to, we need to, we should talk about right here. Does saline versus silicone make difference? So it doesn't actually. So they're all come with a black box warning. I don't know if you know that, but they come in. FDA puts a black box warning that they all cause cancer. So the shell is silicone on a saline implant and the shell is silicone on a silicone implant. It is worse to have a silicone because the silicone then leaches. And what I've understood and heard from people is it leaches onto your nerves. Ah. And then they say it's safe for breastfeeding. And actually the silicone leaches into the baby's breast milk. Wow. Wow. So does everyone get sick? So not everybody gets sick right away, but I think a lot of people don't think that it's from their breast implants. There's a girl that was not not able to conceive. Yep. And she reached out to me after this and she said, Gina, I love your story. I had was not able to get pregnant. I had trigeminal neuralgia. I got surgery done on that. She goes, and then I had my breast. Then I reached out to the surgeon that did him. He said, I don't believe in breast implant illness. That was in Bismarck. And then she said, so I went elsewhere, found that she found this group and she went somewhere. And this was a couple of years ago or four years ago, but she conceived right away, right away. Uh, There it is. So these are symptoms as you guys are hearing that you may not even expect to be related. Acne, acne, bloating. There it is. You know, like hair loss, dry eyes is a really fatigue. Yeah. Why do you think medical providers refuse to believe this or diagnosis? This is a big income generator and 
I mean, breast implants will always be, I mean, I just heard a podcast today that they're still, even though a lot of celebrities are talking, speaking out on this and taking them out because they're sick, not enough are, and they're still going to try to hide it because actually at the conferences, Allergan is doing the breast implant illness speaking and Allergan makes the breast implant. So it's really biased. So, but they do, they have come out with some newer things. There are people that I would recommend following to find out. So if you think you have breast implant illness or you have breast implants and you want to know more, like what I feel like the best thing I could tell people is if you have an unexplained anything, Mm -hmm. like some symptom that's not diagnosable and you got breast implants, more than likely the first thing you should do is take out the implants with that procedure. I talked about, it's a called explant with capsulectomy. You want to have that because then if I would have done that and not lost my stomach first, right. it would have been way happier to lose my boobs than my stomach. stomach right. Now I have this forever, forever. Right. And to me, it seems like a nice starting point. I mean, cost, let's talk cost at one point at a patient say, yeah, it's $13,000. And part of me is going IVF is 20 some thousand. So like, yeah. So what does it, what does it cost look like? And we're going to link, Gina will give me links to these pages or these right, resources, pages resources and, and we'll put them in today's show notes, but start with knowing, you know, get those out, just get right. them out. If you think that's that and start process of elimination, like you said, that's easier than a stomach or five years of infertility at $20,000, you know, round or whatever. So start there, you would say? Yeah, start there. And I think that I've learned a lot too, because I try, when I went to my doctor, I was like, I just want to, if insurance is going to hold this up, I just want to say, I'm going to cash pay because I don't, I want, I'm sick and I don't want to take, I don't want any delays Yes, and I don't want them to turn me down or it. And then, but I said, but I do want this filed because I truly think it's an insurance Yes. You know, responsibility because my health was compromised. Right. And so she said, absolutely. I think you have enough things. And so, but anyway, they didn't file it, but this is what I've read. Most insurance companies will not cover it. It averages between 6,000 and I've seen 10,000 depending on the surgeon. Sure. It, after I've had mine done, I will say, I don't recommend my surgeon. I've since referred to this doctor in Michigan who and another doctor that only does explant surgery. And I've learned that I didn't have my capsule sent to pathology and that's a really important step. So now I'm going to have to backtread a little bit and do some blood work and, and an MRI and find out. So there are good people out there that can help you, you know, go to the right people, but you want to get the right surgeon so that you do it correctly the first time. So you don't have to have a second surgery. So they say care credit is a good option, you know, cause it's interest-free. And, and I know that that is what, you know, some people have to do, yep. but it's, but I can't tell you, like I spent $35,000 on my teeth for dry mouth. Wow. I have spent over 400,000 we added up because I'm trying to write a book, an autobiography, and I they wanted me to calculate what I've spent on non-covered insurance. Non-covered, non-covered, 400. Right, 400,000 in 23 years. But I mean, yep. like, still, yeah. So I feel like you are going to get there. Yeah. You're going to have to spend the money regardless. Just do the $6,000 yes. or right. 10 or whatever it is. Absolutely. Is there anything women can do in the meantime? If Okay, I'm going to do surgery, but maybe it's next year. 
I think it's that, of course, if you're local, like, I believe you come see me. It's like, right, I, I find say. a provider who yeah. listens and believes you no matter what your medic. That's like my mountaintop. You got to find a provider who believes you and listens to you and cleans up your diet, cleans up your diet, doesn't judge you, you know, all the mm-hmm. things too. So yeah, what are some things women can do on their own? What are some things you found just to get through? Well, I just feel like a lot of times in, in medicine, that they don't know a lot enough about nutrition. And I do feel like it's a big part of the root cause is like, we have to have good things going into our body. And there's a lot of detoxing that's going on. I guess like you can have a lot of mold in your body from these Mm -hmm. mercury, a lot of heavy metals grab onto that. So it's like, we're really toxic people. So doing it in the right way. So I would assume like, I mean, I didn't even know about you. So the thing is, is that I was like dependent on other women's stories. Right. Patients are so knowledgeable nowadays because you've had to be, you've become medical experts because you've had to be because the system failed you. So I love that. Find someone who's been through it or is going through it at the same time. But I love that you think outside the box and you know, like certain, like you've been through it. So, you know, find people, find the naturopath, find the acupuncture, find the diet, Reiki, whoever, whatever, like there's no judgment in your team. I think you should be able to build your own team and there should be no judgment from um, other providers. And if no. there is, it's a red flag, really, right. is what it is. Because I, I have learned that when women can't have to wait like a whole year till they get their surgery because the doctors are booked and they're not yes. sick. Yes. They do like they eat a certain, you know, they're recommended to eat a certain detox protocol, clean eating. Cause like, okay. Uh, when I had mine, everyone was like, oh, you're good because you've been eating that way for three years, <laughs> you know, but a lot of people don't eat yeah. the way I yeah, eat. Right, yeah. Right. Right. What are, as we end here, what are three tips that you would give women if they're hearing this today and they're struggling, they're not sure where they can advocate their way through this breast implant disease? First of all, I would join the support group. Yeah. I mean, that was a big thing for me because when I posted my story, 500 other women wanted to commit wow. suicide. Wow, I got goosebumps. Yeah, oh my and gosh. I'm like, this mental is health. so There's sad. Mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so sad that they, we have to find this in a random spot yeah. too. And you have to privately join a group to yeah. see the information on Instagram. No, you don't. Okay. On Instagram, there's D Hicks and we'll give her the information. Well, yes, we will take everything. And, oh, and I was going to say, if people have had a mastectomy and got breast yes. um, insurance does pay. Okay. Okay. So good. that's good. good. Yeah. Good. So they, I have helped a couple of people in there and there's like really good doctors that specialize in that. Yes. And so there's options for that. Wonderful support group, support group, and then getting on and reading about it on the, in the Instagram. Cause there's a lot of videos nice. and you'll see like the process and it really educates, educate you. yourself. Mm-hmm. There you go. Educate yourself. Yep, educate. I like that. Yep. And then, and then finding somebody I'm open for people to message Love me it. that people do. I, it makes me feel well, re- link, we're going to link you. We're gonna it link makes you me feel here. happy. You're, it's a rewarding thing to be able to tell my story to help somebody else yes. get better. Yes. And I know for a fact, you will be helping hundreds, if not thousands mm-hmm. more by doing our sharing today. I just want to thank you, Gina. This is very vulnerable, very open. I think we are just chipping away at the the tip of this and we're going to share the rest of the month on some more things. So make sure you guys are listening, but please head over to Gina, say hi, connect with her and take the next step. Take the first step. If you think this is you, 
to get that consultation. I think the consultation sometimes is probably the scariest, hardest thing. And right. I think just make it, just talk to, talk to the professional who does this, do that visit and, and go from there. Right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back here next week. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over and hit subscribe or leave a review for Hopeful Hints and Infertility Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you back here next week, Tuesday. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Nurse Wellness Podcast, hosted by Wendy Garvin Mayo, focuses on the power of stress management and how it's foundational to being your best, doing your best, and giving your best. There's a wonderful episode that you should check out called Letting Go, where Wendy Garvin Mayo shares six strategies to release control and manage stress effectively. Check out Nurse Wellness Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.